There's always something better than what we already have. Somewhere out there, there's a better car, a better job, a better beach house, and the list goes on. The truth is, a better life doesn't just exist in your dreams. It's closer than you think. Imagine a Christ-centered marriage, one that doesn't involve lying, cheating, and going to bed angry. Imagine a relationship with your children that builds them up instead of tearing them down. One that equips them to make good decisions instead of being apathetic to their spiritual growth. Imagine going to your job every day happy. Can you believe it? You can actually enjoy what you'll be doing for the next 10, 20, or 30 years. Imagine what Easter Sunday will look like if everybody brought one person to church. And imagine if the person you brought stands up to be saved. Jesus lived and died for your life. So imagine what would happen if you truly lived your life for Him. Good morning, Connection Church. I hope everybody's doing well this morning, this bright, sunny day. Making sure everybody's awake. It's raining outside, isn't it? But you still came and so glad that you're here um, this morning. I'm so glad I'm here with you this morning. Um, Tanya mentioned some things about Easter and we are so excited about Easter and ready for this day to come and uh, things building towards Easter. Uh, Being in church ministry for so many years, Easter is just that Sunday. It's that Sunday and people are like, what's the big deal about Easter? Well, Jesus did come back to life that day. So it's kind of an important day when it comes to the life of a Christian. Um, Get pretty pumped about that, but it's such a celebration, such an awesome time. But what we discovered through the years, it is really an awesome time where people come to church when they don't normally come to church. And what an opportunity that we have to give them the gospel, preach the word, love on them, and maybe meet them where they are when they do come And we really want to encourage you to invite someone for Easter. Having three services, so please bring somebody with you. Drag them with you. It doesn't matter what shape they're in once they get here. Just drag them on in. We'll patch them up when they get in here. It's fine. But bring them in here that day so they can hear uh, the gospel message. It's going to be a great, great day. We've prayed through this and um, have not really ever done this before, but we're going to do something, and I want to share it with you today. And that is, we're going to set a goal for that day. And our staff came together and we submitted numbers individually just to see what would happen. And our average number came up to 33. 33. 33 salvations for Easter Sunday. Three services. That's an average of 11 per service. If you're a math wizard, they told me what that was. I couldn't figure it out. But anyway, it's 11 per service. And it's not, again, you hear about numbers But it's not about the number. It's about setting a goal so that we move. If each one of you sat here today and you're thinking about when I leave here, I've got to do this, this, and this, or I just can't wait to get home, or I'm going to go get something to eat. You have a goal when you leave here, right? If you did not have that goal, you would sit through the next service and you would be here for school in the morning, right? Because you have a goal, you move. So we want to set this goal to help us all move, to help us know how important it is, to help us to to be encouraged to do that, to bring somebody in to the church so that we can share the gospel with them. It can be shared in all other places, but it's going to be an unbelievable day um, that God is doing some great work and, uh, and preparing us for it. So 
As we continue on today, the last couple of weeks, Brandon has talked about submission. Submission in a couple of different ways. The first thing that we talked about was marriage. We stand side by side. We stand eye to eye, heart and soul. And Jesus never brings about condemnation on us and neither should we in our marriages with each other. And then he talked about children and parents. Children and parents. Obeying parents um, honors God. That's what children do. If they, if they obey their parents, they honor God. It reflects God. It fulfills God's potential in us. And parents, we are given our children to steward and direct them to the potential that God has for them, not what we have for them. So let's remember Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his power. That is at work within us. In Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Let's remember those as we walk into what we're going to walk into today. So Paul's encouraging the church of Ephesus that life before Christ looked much different than life after Christ came. Much different. And chapters 5 and 6 talk about submission a lot. And Paul specifically talks about it in regards to marriage, children. And now it culminates with slavery in the workplace. Slavery in the workplace. So let's read together this part of the text for today and see what God has for us in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to begin with verse 5. Go 5 through 9. And that will lead us next week to how we prepare ourselves to do all this stuff by talking about the armor of God. So look with me at Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with verse 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each of you, each one, for, each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And there's no favoritism with him. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for the rain that you're blessing us with today. God, as we sit in this place, as we sit back in these comfortable chairs, and we listen to your word being broken apart, God, we pray that your word will be heard, that you will be glorified, and that you penetrate our hearts, God, and speak to us where we need to be spoken to. Change us, God, from within. We thank you and we love you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So when we mention the word slavery, we all have these different pictures and we have these different things that come to mind. And if you saw a couple of movies this year, um, like Mandela or 12 Years a Slave, I saw both of those movies and they were very, very difficult to sit through for me. They were, uh, they were emotional and I, I did not like them. I loved them as a film, but did not like sitting through that and enduring what was going on because uh, I feel still feel responsible for it in so many ways because it was such a bad time and a black eye on our, um, our whole history um, and, and just tainted so many things about us as a, as a country. 
And I think about that today because I want you to try your best to put some of those things out of your mind because slavery in the Old Testament was not the same. And slavery in the New Testament was not the same as what we have experienced and what we've been taught and historically have learned about it. And I was thinking about how repulsed I am by it, how repulsed I am by the whole thought of slavery in and of itself, how we know it. And, and the way I thought about this is um, as, a, as a crisis responder, as a chaplain, some of the things that, that I'm um, able to do and get called to do puts me in places that aren't all that pretty. And I've seen a lot of blood and guts and I've seen a lot of bodies and those things just don't bother me. It may make me weird. You can commit me if you want to. I don't care, but it just doesn't really bother me. It doesn't mean I you know, make fun of it or anything like that. I'm respectful, but it's not why I have to leave the room or pass out. However, if you throw up by me, I will throw up by you. I don't know why that form of liquid is so much different than blood, but I've narrowed it down through the years after having three kids and that awful sound that only comes between midnight and four, by the way, it's the only time kids throw up that awful sound of that, you know, that heart wrenching, gut wrenching, obviously stuff that's coming up. And I usually act like I'm dead. That's how I've played it in the past. Just don't move. Maybe she'll go. She'll go. Wait for it. Wait for it. She's not going anywhere. He may be dying. He'll be okay. Still coming. Still coming. You want to go or you want me to go? Well, let's both go. Well, we don't both have to go, do we? I mean, could you just get there and call me or text me and let me know if you need help? I could bring stuff to the door. I could throw things in the room if you need it. But it's just so repulsive. And it's, you know, it's the odor. It's what it is. It's the odor. Um, stuff that's been there does not, it's not supposed to come back up. That's why it smells that way. And it's repulsive. And I, I get that feeling when I think about slavery. It's such an awful time. So many awful things that happen. So let's answer this question. Why doesn't Paul take a tougher stance on the abolishment of slavery? It's a question that people have had for a long time. I'm going to try to answer that question with three different points to start this message out. And then we're going to talk about submission and we're going to talk about authority. So the first thing is slavery, servanthood in the Old Testament was very different than we understand. In the Old Testament, most slaves were captured during wars. However, by the New Testament, slavery was changing. Slaves were often better than free men. They were given clothing and shelter. They were trained as doctors, musicians, teachers, and artists. It was not uncommon for Romans to even train slaves in their own trades. And there's an example of this um, with a term called bondservant. And a bondservant was someone who belonged to their master. And the bondservants were loved so much by their masters that they wanted everyone to know who, who they belonged to. So in order to do this, some bondservants would tattoo themselves or they would use a piercing that says, I belong to him. I want you to know I belong to him because I love my master so much. I belong to him and I choose to serve him. 
So it was a very different thing than just being dominated over or beaten into submission. Slavery of the Bible was more like an indentured servitude. Involuntary slavery was a capital offense according to Exodus 21.16. It says anyone who kidnaps someone is to be put to death, whether the victim has been sold or is still in the kidnapper's possession. Death. It was pretty clear. The Bible speaks also of how masters should treat servants. In the book of Philemon, Paul orders Philemon to treat Onesimus as a brother. As a brother. So it was different. It was very different. It was also an issue of the heart. It was an issue of the heart. To Paul, spiritual status was, it was much more important than social status. His spiritual status was so important to him. He gladly identified himself as a slave for Christ. A slave for Christ. Remember that point. While not condoning slavery, Paul, he understood slavery would be destroyed, but not through more words, but through changed hearts. Hearts would have to change. And we don't really do it that way, do we? If they don't agree with us, we get louder, right? We blow things up in other countries, and even in our country it happens. If I don't agree with you, I'm going to blow something up. Or I'm going to yell louder, right? And if, you know, just in honor of our pastor, I have to tell baseball stories. So there's no better way to talk about submission and authority than umpires, right? Holy cow. They are in authority. Some of them should be strung up, but they are in authority, right? And it never goes well to argue with an umpire. But as coaches, we all do it. And I justify it by saying, this is part of the game. This is part of the game. My wife says, I don't really see the point. There's a point. I don't know it yet, but I'm going to keep going with there is a point, right? So I've never gone out there and gotten him to change the call. I don't know about other coaches, but I've never successfully gone out there and said, well, let me just share my thoughts with you, umpire. Um, You missed that one. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. You missed that one. Um, She was safe. She was safe. Well, glad you feel that way. All right. Just wanted to let you know. Now I've come to the point where I know my parents, they want me to argue. So I've gone out recently to the umpire and gotten to him. He says, what is it, coach? Well, my parents want me to argue with you. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm fixing to go back to the dugout. You have a good day. And I walk back. That seems to make everybody happy, right? But we do this. We, we, we blow up and we've never seen it work. We've never seen it work. That, that type of attitude does not work. It just pushes people to submission. Paul's focus on heart change is seen across Ephesians and Philemon when dealing with the issues of slavery. And the focus is not on being good slaves, but being good servants of Christ and reflecting that to their masters. So it was different and it was a heart issue. And the third thing is the gospel would have been overshadowed by social reform. The gospel would have been overshadowed by social reform. Again, by understanding the historical context of the New Testament and the way it was written, we know that if Jesus and his apostles directly attacked slavery, it would have been chaotic. 
There would have been an insurrection. A slave insurrection would have been brutally crushed with many slaves being killed or tortured. And Paul knew that social reform did not change hearts. It didn't change hearts. And directly trying to destroy slavery, the gospel message would have been overshadowed by social reform. So Paul is inserting this fuse that would eventually explode and destroy slavery from within. We need to remember that our social reform work is good. But ultimately, it should point people to the reality of Jesus and the gospel and lead to heart change, social reform, and spiritual revival. Social reform has to begin with Jesus and it has to end with Jesus. If we are feeding the hungry and clothing the naked and housing the homeless, then we're sending full, clothed, and dry people straight to the pit of hell. Why would we work so hard to meet the needs of people, the physical needs of people, without meeting the most crucial need that every person on this earth needs? And that is to be introduced to Jesus Christ. So full, clothed people are just full, clothed people. That's it. A temporary fix on earth is just that, if not followed up with the why we do it. Why would we do that? Why would we feed the hungry? Why would we clothe the naked? Why would we house the homeless? Because Jesus lives in us. But we have to tell them that. We have to tell them that. Social gospel is amazing and it is good, but social gospel must contain the gospel. Look at how this plays out in our contemporary lives. Relationships of all types. Every relationship that we are in involves authority and submission. Teachers, students, husbands, wives, parents, children, employers, employees, etc. It goes on and on. We experience submission and authority every single day. And we find ourselves on both sides every single day. So there are four truths when you are in submission to someone I want to share with you. Four truths when you're in submission to someone. Keep in mind Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's how he starts it out. If we go on down to chapter 6 that we read earlier beginning with verse 5. The first thing he says is slaves obey your earthly masters with respect and fear. And with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. So the first thing, the first truth is see the bigger picture behind their authority and your submission. See the bigger picture behind their authority and your submission. What is the big picture? And it comes from a sincerity of the heart of Jesus. That's the bigger picture. It's his heart where they're supposed to be looking at. Understand who you are obeying. Your obedience to the authority reflects Jesus. Know your role. This is the toughest thing for me sometimes to understand and to to grasp because I've heard people say, well, you need to look at your boss like Jesus. And some of you in here just went, (laughs) really? Yeah. He says Jesus a lot, but he don't look like Jesus. I'd like to do some things to him. And we just go on and on and it takes us into this difficult place to even make that connection. But 
we're going to get to the point where it's not really about us and it's not really about your boss if it's an employer. But it's about every relationship that we're in that we find ourselves in submission to. If we see the big picture and we see that position that we are in as a bondservant, as Christ-like, it will change our hearts. And it changes the hearts around us. But remember, what submission is not is submission is not doormat mentality. We can create boundaries that are safe for ourselves. The second thing in verse 6, obey them not only to win their favor when their eyes on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. So the second truth is see the purpose behind your obedience. See the purpose behind your obedience. And it comes from sincerity of heart for God's purpose. Sincerity of heart for God's purpose. It's not about our personal gain. When we are in obedience to someone, it's no longer about us. It's about a being obedient because we know God's heart. We understand God's purpose in all things. Your obedience to authority helps others see the picture of Jesus. If you think about what I talked about early in asking and inviting someone to Easter with you. And maybe everybody in here, when I said that, you started thinking about, well, I know he needs to be here. I know she needs to be here. But my question to you is, have you created an environment that would even allow you to invite them to church? Especially if they're an authority over you or if they sit side by side with you. Have you created an environment that's welcoming enough to say, you know what? I'd like for you to come to church with me. Would they say to you, why would I want to go to your church and act like you? It's pretty convicting, isn't it? So think about that. Make those changes. They're not hard to make. The third thing is in verse seven, the third truth. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. So the third truth is see God's heart for others. See God's heart for others. And this comes from a sincerity of God's heart for others. It's not about you again. But it's a picture that's hard for us to see because we're not God. We know that we can read the text and we can get into the word of God and we can read it and we can begin to understand it. We know that God loves everyone. And isn't that wonderful? Doesn't that sound good and it feels good, right? But we don't. All right, that is a truth in and of itself. We don't love everybody. We don't like everybody. We don't love everybody. It's against our human nature to do that because we are naturally selfish. We want what we want when we want it. And if we have that attitude, it's very difficult to love other people, but it's almost impossible to see God's heart for others. So let's think about that. Let's, let's, ponder over that in our own heart and look at the people who are around us and go, you know, God cares for that person. What makes me bigger than God in this thinking that I could have a different attitude about someone than God does. So God's sincerity for others is a huge piece of this puzzle. The fourth and final truth is in verse eight, because you know that the Lord will reward, reward each of you 
For whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. So the fourth truth is see the reward for a life of faithfulness to God. His purpose and those he loves. See the reward for a life of faithfulness in God. His purpose and those he loves. We as believers are able to reap the rewards on earth and ultimately in heaven. Paul is saying very clearly, do these things. Do these things I'm asking you to do. Submit to authority and your rewards will be there for you. We will reap those rewards on Easter Sunday morning if we are reaching out to the people around us. And we are creating an environment that's safe around us to invite people in, to follow us here, to open that word of God in their midst and say, this is what it's done for me. I'd love to see God do this in your life because you've shared some things with me and I know this would change your life. Creating that environment is huge. So we get to see part of that reward here and ultimately we get to see it forever. We get to enjoy it forever in eternity. So God can use you where you are. God wants to use you where you are, no matter what. If you're not able to submit, if you're not able to submit, then you are pursuing what you want instead of what God wants. If you're not able to submit, you are pursuing what you want rather than what God wants. Let's be honest. If I begin to get bitter in my marriage with my wife and resentful, Nine out of 10 times, that's been caused by me wanting to get what I want. It comes out of my own selfishness and pursuit of me, right? And it happens in so many other avenues. Let's go back to the umpires. They're fresh for the killing today, aren't they? The umpires out there. It's the same thing. If we're cheering for our team... I got my defense out there and there's a close bang, bang play and he calls them safe. Guess what? All my fans think they were out and the umpire's an idiot, right? But if they were out, then the other team thinks the umpire's an idiot, right? Every time, it does not matter. This is like the 11th commandment of baseball, right? No matter what way the call goes, the other team who doesn't benefit will be mad every time. And that's how our relationships are. We're pursuing what we want. We're going after what we want. If we don't get what we want, we yell about it or we fuss about it or we pout or we moan. Driving, same thing, right? Knew that was coming. If we're driving somewhere, somebody cuts us off, we get ticked off about it. Most of the time because we left late and we're running late. And now somebody's holding me up and I'm late, right? Later. But it started out because I was already late to begin with because I got up late. But we still blame it on everybody else. We got to take responsibility for what's ours. We're pursuing what we want. And if you get behind those I guess everybody saw the YouTube video, the guy who crashed after the woman videoed videoed him this week. Everybody see that? If you didn't, awesome. (laughs) Anyway, you know, the guy's following too close. She's videoing him. He comes by her. There's 
gestures involved in it, non-Christ-like. He was saying she's number one or something. Anyway, he, he goes on by, guns it all cool, and wrecks right in front of her. She videos the whole thing. You know, those are kind of funny sometimes when that happens. Same thing happened to, to me. I, we were on a mission trip, and I had the staff that was with me, and we were traveling from, uh, from here in Statesboro all the way to New Orleans, and we had gone down to Panama City to pick up a staff member. So we were cutting across there on I-10, headed to New Orleans. We get in there early, early in the morning, and one of those big roads in New Orleans, they're all big, and there's like you know 54 lanes there, and we're cruising, and all of them are closed but one, and um, so we're just kind of creeping along. And there's some work going up on ahead of us. And this, this group, of, was like two, maybe three teenagers are in this car. And they come around into the closed lane. And they're passing cars. And I see them kind of coming up. And it's one of those cars, one of those loud mufflers that's, you know, they like need for speed or something. They're all cool. It's like, and comes on flying by. And I'm like, gee, what, what a dork. And just kind of sitting there. And it's probably 10, 15 minutes later. We ease up. And I see these, you know, blue lights and sirens and everything. And the construction people had been cutting out sections of the highway. You know how they do on I-16? have no idea why they do this. But they like cut out this huge section. And this car was in one of these sections. And I, I mean, I couldn't help but go, man, that's so funny. But I kind of felt bad because like the windshield was gone and they were gone too. And um, I guess they were um, taken somewhere else to, to heal. And um, But when we're pursuing what we want... We can find ourselves in a mess. We find ourselves in trouble sometimes. And that is what happens to all of us. Students, when you're pursuing what you want and you're supposed to be in submission to someone else, you fuss about it. How, how could I have made a 70? Maybe because you didn't study. That's what the professor would probably say, right? Well, I, didn't, I didn't understand it. Why didn't you come see me? It's being respectful of those things and not pursuing what you want in every relationship we have, every relationship we have, it comes down to this. Are we pursuing what we want? Or are we pursuing what God wants? It changes everything. And Jesus is our example of this. John chapter 13 verses three through five, a familiar story that happened with Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power. And that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Now this, this story we kind of wash over, no pun intended, but we kind of walk past it sometime and we think, well, that was kind of neat. But the whole story surrounding this picture is amazing. Because for Jesus, the son of the living God, who could have had everything, he could have done anything he wanted, not only comes in and does something that not even slaves would do, washing nasty feet, they didn't have Nikes, they didn't have shoes that covered their feet. They had sandals. They didn't have paved roads. They had dirty, dusty roads. And Jesus comes in there, not only lowers himself to do that, but he unclothes himself. How vulnerable is that? 
He unclothes himself and just wraps a towel around his waist to cover himself. Other than that, he is naked with his disciples. And he kneels down in front of them and washes their feet. What an amazing picture. I had a seminary professor, his name was Dr. Lloyd Allen. And I'll never forget, he came and did a revival in my church over in Manchester, Georgia. And the night he came, it was, it was Holy Week of Easter. And the night he was coming in to preach, he, he came in. And at the end of his service, sermon, he had been talking about washing feet and serving. Jesus walked to the cross and he asked me to come up on the stage with him. And he had this water basin and I don't know what he's about to do. But he asked me to sit down and he began to wash my feet. My professor, who I held in very high esteem and still do. But just the posture of me sitting there, I was so uncomfortable. I wanted to leave the room so bad. Not only because he's washing my feet, but 200 people were watching him wash my feet. It was weird. Very weird. But at the same time, it was amazingly powerful. That someone in authority over me, who graded my papers, would kneel before me. And he talked to me the whole time about what I meant to him in his class, about the potential he felt that I had as a pastor, as a minister in the future. It was amazing. That's what Jesus did for us. There's the authority piece too. We all find ourselves in authority and there's some truths that we need to know about authority as well. Three truths about when you're in authority. That student, teacher, employer, employee, Every Christian to God. And the first one is found in verse 9. Just the first part of it. And masters treat your slaves in the same way. Referring back to 6, 7, and 8. Masters treat your servants, your slaves in the same way. Do the same. It's an umbrella statement. The four truths of submission apply to you when you're in authority. Plus the next two. The middle part of nine, do not threaten. Do not threaten. Your authority should be used the same way Jesus used his. He never threatened. He washed their feet. He hung on a cross. He touched people. He healed them. He brought comfort. He brought peace. Jesus could have oppressed but he liberated. He could have killed, but he healed. He could have self-gratified every sensual desire, but he served. He could have propped himself up on an earthly kingdom, but he died to bring a spiritual kingdom. Do not threaten. Do not threaten. The third one, the last part of verse nine. Since you know that he who is both their master and yours in heaven and there is no favoritism with them. We're supposed to see them more than equal. We see them as God sees them. See them as God sees them, the heart of God, the way God sees us as individuals. He saved most of us in this room. Why can't we see people the same way we are when we were hurting and lost? 
God sees them as brothers and sisters in Christ, and so should we. There is no such thing as those people. There's no such thing as those people. They are brothers and they are sisters. And we need to see them as God sees them. Think about all that includes. Think about the relationships that you have and how many people that includes in your life that you see as those or them. Or not going to touch that. Or I can't even get close to them because I know they're better than me. It's in both directions. So what about you? What about you today as we come in a week before Palm Sunday, a week before the time we celebrate Jesus coming into the city, establishing his kingdom that they thought was going to be a kingdom, that they were going to crown him this beautiful crown and he was going to become king and rule over the earth. Boy, was that off a little bit. Next week, we celebrate that triumphant entry. What do you need to do to prepare for that? Where do you find yourself in submission and authority? All this applies to each one of us, no matter what. Even if you were king of the world today, you're still in submission to Christ. And I don't think the king of the world came today. He may be here at 11 or she may be here at 11, but we are in submission to Christ. No matter what we own, no matter what we have, no matter how powerful we are on earth, we are always in submission to Christ. One of our prayer warriors, Kenan, said this morning when we were praying before the service, he said, we don't need conviction, we need change. Just stuck with me. Because we can think about these things and we can think about submission and we can think about authority and we can think about God doing stuff in our lives and we can even go back to driving examples. And we can sit in here this morning and we think about, good man, this is just kind of stepping on my toes. I need to love people better, blah, 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 and get down on ourselves and walk out of here convicted, right? Which is not all bad, but what good is conviction if there's no change? We have got to be changed. So in the midst of conviction, in the midst of God speaking to you, what else is God saying to you? Because I can, I can sit in my office all day long, freezing. Oh, it's cold in here. Man, it's cold in my chair. And sit there and sit there and sit there and freeze. Or I can get off my behind and go turn the thermostat up. So the things that we do, the behaviors that we have can change things about us. So we can sit here convicted. We can sit here thinking, man, I just got to do better. Do better. Don't just think about doing better. Do better. Do what God's called you to do. Make the change God needs you to make. Maybe today, this is the day for you that God is saying, you know what? You don't even know me. You come here week after week and Brandon asks you to raise your hand or stand up or do a handstand or something at the end of the service. If you want to be saved and you just sit and you sit and you sit and God continually, it's like, hello, anybody in there? Steady just knocking on your heart and going, please accept me so I can change you. 
Maybe that's the opportunity you have today. I'd love to give you that opportunity. If you're here and you know God is saying that to you, Christ dying on a cross that we celebrate in two weeks is going to hang there on Friday as we raised again on Sunday as we celebrate year after year. Amazing time. An awesome time. Let me tell you something. If you accept him today, you'll get it on that day. You'll understand it. And it will be the most amazing Easter you've ever experienced in your life. So today, if that's what God is saying to you, I want you to do this right now. If God is saying that to you and says, I need to meet Jesus. I need to, to know how to do this. It's very easy. He just says, believe on me and you will be saved. It's pretty simple. Believe me. But then he says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my father in heaven. That's why we do it like that. That's why we do it publicly. Because it says to. And if we don't, we just walk out of here convicted, not changed. So if you want to do that this morning, just lift your hand where you are. If you know that Christ needs to come into your life right now, thank you so much. Right over here. Anyone else? Thank you so much get two of our our prayer folks to just walk over here and greet them we'd love to pray with y'all walk into your next step thank y'all so much oh miss carol anybody else well as we close this service today this is what i want you to take away from this throughout the day i want you to pay attention to how many times you find yourself in submission or how many times you find yourself in authority how many times we go back and forth on that all day long and I want you to test yourself on these truths that that God put on our heart today to share with you test them out see what happens because I can only imagine just with the couple hundred folks in here today if we walked out of here and just half of us just half of us walked into a restaurant and we lived by this, we could change the life of a waitress. We could change the life of somebody we come into contact with because we love them and show them Christ's love because we see what God sees. So think about those things today. Don't leave here convicted. Leave here changed. Changed. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We thank you. We want so much, God, for you to change our hearts as we walk through this season. You know, Easter is not the end. It is the beginning of so much. God, we know as you rain down today, as the water comes from the sky and flows through the earth, we know what's right around the corner. That new life happens. Thank you for the new lives that have happened today the two that have died to themselves have come into the presence of you, God, work in their hearts wherever they are right now, God, change them. And God, for each one of us in here as we walk from this place today, change our hearts, change our behaviors, change our thoughts, change our families, change our marriages, change our workplaces, God. We thank you and we love you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Y'all have a wonderful week.